Our scripture reading this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew. Now, when Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, whom do people say the human one is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has shown you this. Rather, my father who is in heaven has shown you. I tell you that you are Peter, and I will build my church on this rock. The gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. Anything you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Then he orders disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Let's imagine the scene today. We're told Jesus and his disciples are in Caesarea Philippi. That's about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, around which they lived and worked and traveled and knew very well. And now they're in this more foreign territory, maybe a little uncomfortable in these stranger surroundings. This is the seat of the occupying Roman imperial rule. It's a home of many different cultures and gods and competing voices for people's attention and worship and idolatry. There are shrines around and all kinds of small case G gods. And questions of identity on the part of Jesus arise. And I wonder if we can relate if we're in a strange place and suddenly we, we're not sure who we are in this context. One biblical commentator suggests we can imagine Jesus entertaining this age-old question, who am I? That Jesus asks his disciples that question of, the, of who the people say he is, is more pondering about this issue of identity. Who is Jesus? Who are the disciples? Who are his followers? And this can be a question for us too today about our identity. What we say about Jesus tells something about what we say about ourselves. The answer to that question is important. It's very telling. So Jesus first inquires who the people out there in the world who have either witnessed or heard about Jesus' great works of healing, about his amazing otherworldly teachings. He wants to know who do they say that he is. And the disciples offer a list of deceased prophets of God from their history, either recent or ancient. They say the people claim that Jesus is a resurrected John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or maybe another of God's appointed messengers from old. And then Jesus, wanting to know more, digs deeper 
to his disciples right there with him. He asks, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? You may have wondered, or maybe you're wondering today, who is Jesus? It is an age-old question for me, I know. Throughout my years as one seeking to follow the way of Jesus that I was raised in and then came to call my own and continue to seek after today, as I grew and evolved and sometimes devolved in my faith and then evolved some more, the answer to that question for me has varied along with my level of certainty about it, about who Jesus was and is and is supposed to be in my life and for the world. Did he have to die to save me or you from some fiery hell? Was he the son of an abusive God created to appease a wrathful divine parent? Was his purpose that of, of the king, like in the parable in Matthew 25, one who came to separate the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous, setting apart the do-gooders to receive all the good things of the kingdom and the evildoers to receive all the bad things? Well, the most helpful response to this question of who is Jesus for me and my journey came from the now late Reverend Howard Gray, who said this, Jesus shows us how God wants to be with us. How God wants to be with us, he stressed. Not what God wants to do to us. Not how God is at work deciding who belongs to God and who does not. What we believe about Jesus, the Son of the living God, reveals what we believe about God. And as those created in the divine image, what we believe about God reveals what we believe about ourselves. And all of this affects how we show up in the world, which affects either positively or negatively the people, the creatures, and the planet that we touch on a daily basis. So our answer to Jesus' question really matters. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And before any of the others could speak, impetuously natured Peter blurts out, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus offers an immediate celebratory praise-filled response as if cheering him on. God bless you, Peter, Jesus says, for you did not get that answer out of the books or from the teachers of the world. No, that was none other than God in heaven you showing you that I am the way. Yes, Peter, as one commentator puts it, was quite out of his mind when he answered with that response. He did not cook that one up himself. It was not of this world or of any human mind, but rather of divine origins. Peter did not accurately grasp what he was even saying. Messiah, son of the living God. In the imaginations of the Jews at that time who were waiting for God's Messiah to come and fulfill God's salvation project, they expected a warrior king Messiah to come to overflow the oppressive Roman occupation and liberate them from that tyranny 
and restore the dynasty of their ancestor, the great King David, forever. Now looking ahead to the next section of this story in Matthew, we see that Peter's gross misunderstanding of who Jesus was, we see this lived out. And this is a turning point in Matthew's gospel for Jesus' journey. As Peter's testimony of Jesus as the son of the living God is hanging in the air, Jesus will next tell his disciples what this means as he offers the first of three predictions of the suffering and death that he will endure in Jerusalem. And again, Peter blurts out and he rebukes Jesus. He grabs him by the shoulders and declares, no way. God forbid this happen to you, Jesus, ever. And Jesus, who had just called Peter blessed for his declaration of Jesus' true identity, now calls Peter Satan. That is, one who is acting outside of the way of God. Peter is revealing his agnosticism here. That is, his level of not knowing God. Fear, a signpost of agnosticism, fuels Peter's actions and words. Fear drives us away from God-reliant living, from having God's vision, back into ourselves, into self-reliance, where we try to make God in our own image, and cling to that God tightly, as we see Peter do as he clings to Jesus' shoulders and tries to tell him what will and will what certainly not happen. In agnostic self-reliance, we humans try to run the show on the stage of the world, and failing, we try harder, and we become more fearful, prey to misery, our relationships with others and with God eventually suffer because we collapse more into ourselves and we have diminished capacity to both give and receive love and serve God and others. Our lives become smaller. There is much about the living God of Jesus the Christ that Peter does not yet know, that all the disciples do not yet grasp. And this makes me pause and ask myself and all of us, how about us? Do we detect any agnosticism in ourselves, any not knowing the things of God? Those working the 12-step program of recovery from addiction, as first laid out for us through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, essentially are asked to answer the question, about the identity of the God of their understanding. Step one of the 12 is admission of powerlessness over whatever addiction has a bind on us, whether a substance, a behavior, persons, or a way of thinking. And after admitting powerlessness, we come to step two, where we come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore our lives and transform us from the inside out and set us free. These are vital first steps because if I don't admit I'm powerless to stop destructive, addictive thinking or behaving, if I don't honestly consider how I've tried everything 
to stop whatever it is and then stay stopped. If I don't honestly acknowledge that I have failed every single time, I will never be free. And then once receiving the gift of admitting that complete defeat when left to my own devices to fix or save myself, the next is to move to step two to discover a higher power, more powerful than me, which is good, that can and will and wants to and already is at work restoring me and all of us to something new to some level of new sanity when we might be trying to do the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. On my own life journey, I do strive to follow this 12-step path. And recently, while I was working step two with a step guide, I was asked to respond to a couple of questions. And the first is, what do I believe about God right now? And the second, what does my behavior tell me about what I believe about God? The first question I wrote easily and at great length. All the good things I believe about God, what I learned in Sunday school as a kid, then in my adult life through the scriptures, what Jesus has modeled and taught, things like being all loving and compassionate and radically inclusive and non-judgmental and accepting of all of God's beloved children, believing that God is humorous, empathetic, loving us in our imperfect, finite selves no matter what, and caring for all creation. And on and on and on I wrote. Then I came to the second question. What does my behavior reveal about what I say I believe about God? And just as for Peter, my own agnosticism was revealed to me. I say I believe God is all-loving, compassionate, accepting, and non-judgmental, but I find myself acting just the opposite much of the time. I say I believe God is trustworthy and has my back and is on my side, yet so often I'm in fear-based living, scanning the horizon for danger, for how I might lose this game called life or be hurt or rejected by others or not get what I need. And like Peter, I too want to say to the God of my lack of understanding, no way, God, not this or not that, it can't be, or I won't have it. My answers revealed the ways I act as if I really don't know God. Now, in my answer, there were other aspects of my living that reveal my having knowledge of the God of Jesus that I want to acknowledge. I do pray and meditate, showing I believe there's something good listening. I serve others. I come to church and share and worship with all of you. I exercise. I try to eat healthy things. I scratch the necks of cats. I meet on the sidewalk if they'll let me. I don't kill spiders. This is just to name a few. Well, in this story, I experience an invitation, especially for us who have been groomed for life in our Western U.S. culture of rugged individualism, where self-sufficiency is taught, where focus on me, myself, and I is championed and called self-care much of the time. 
So considering Jesus' question and how we answer that, who do you say that I am? It really matters beyond ourselves and how the answer affects my own life or our own individual lives. Because as God's children, we are intricately connected and related to the global human family, to all creation. So what we believe about God affects the welfare of the whole. And how we act out that belief has the power to either build up God's love or tear down and diminish God's love, not only in our own lives, but in the world around us. So I offer today another question for us to consider. After considering who do we say that the God of Jesus is, and then after considering what your or my behavior reveals about what I say I believe, then I invite us to take time to get still, get quiet, and ask God, God, show me any agnosticism that lives in me, any way I believe incorrectly about who you are, and show me what's true about who you are for me, for my human siblings, for creation. And then allow God to meet our agnosticism with more knowing, with the knowledge of God in Christ that leads to the peace that passes all understanding. When we stop and look and listen to Jesus, we will discover the living God is the one who restores sight to the blind, who heals the sick, who helps the lame to walk, who sets the prisoner free, who cares for the poor and the oppressed, who comforts the grieving, who meets us in the 12 steps of recovery to liberate us from the bondage of addiction, who comforts the afflicted through your phone calls, your text and your letters of care to those who might need a good and loving word. This is the God who comforts as you visit people in their along their bedside, as you give hope to those with criminal records through the expungement campaign with Third Church and Knox, as so many people are given hope as their records are hopefully made clean. The God of Jesus reveals himself, herself, through us as we give hope to the homeless through Interfaith Housing Network here at Knox and so many churches in the city. Gives joy to kids returning to school through your generosity in supplying backpacks and school supplies. Who fills the loneliness and fellowship and connection when you meet someone new here in worship or at Lemonade on the Lawn following worship. When you simply meet someone on the sidewalk or in the grocery store and simply ask, how are you? And then pause to really listen. It's in walking alongside a young person in anguish or confusion about their life or the future. Allowing them to be, sharing your experience, strength, and hope from your own journey. It's being as Christ for anyone through love and presence. After that exercise, if you take time to engage that, if any doubt, when agnosticism flares up yet again, which it probably will because we're human, 
if we find ourselves telling God again, I've got this, I know the way, don't worry, we can simply return to how Jesus reveals God and then act as if we believe it by sharing the love of Christ with the world and in acting as if we believe, we will once again come to believe that Jesus is the son of the living God who came to give life and life abundantly to bestow upon us a peace that the world can never give and hold us in God's loving embrace forever. Friends, I trust that this is the word of God given to us through these words today. May we believe a little bit more. Amen.